right, first off, our students. If you're on student services, uh, middle school and high school, we have a service just for you. You don't get to know what this is for. So give it up for our students. We love you, students. We will see you later. Uh, church, what do you see? Some two-by-fours, right? Yeah, 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what one you're going to. It was more than that. But yeah, um, you know, for us... We see the wood, but for 18-year-old Ralph Samuelson, he saw something else. You know, for years, he had seen people go up to the mountains and come down on skis, and he was fascinated that they were able to do that. He said, what if we could do that on water? So he tried and tried and tried, and time after time, there was nothing that would give him the ability to float and walk on water as he dreamed of. And he said, it'd be so cool if what we did in the mountains is something we could do on the water. So he's walking through a lumber yard with his brother, and he saw some two-by-fours. And what everyone saw is just pieces of wood, or $30, as someone affectionately called it. <laughs> he said, I see something else. So he took them home, sanded them down, and he placed them in his mother's water boiler. And a water boiler is used for clothes at the time. This was back almost 100 years ago, or a little over 100 years ago, in 1922. And he, and he ended up soaking the end of the wood. And then he held it in a vice grip to give it a little bit of a curve. And then he talked to a blacksmith and he said, I want you to put a ring on, on those and I, I want there to be a strap for my feet. So the blacksmith helped him out. And then he said, well, I need a really long cord. So he got a, a hundred yard cord. And then time after time, he, would, he was like, I don't know how I'm going to be pulled. And so he asked his brother to drive the boat. So his brother drove the boat and he failed and he failed and he failed. Until one time, as thousands of people were watching him, he leaned back, he leaned forward, and he started to realize, I'm doing it. He saw wood, but he had a vision for it. Right? He had something beyond just what he saw. In this Vision Sunday, where we see the material, God has a plan and there's a vision for it. So if you're with us today, as it's Vision Sunday, I want you to follow along in our sermon notes. Um, you can scan the QR code or go to newbreak.church slash sermon, and we're going to have the notes with you. But we're talking all about vision, how we get to see what maybe other people can't see, how we get to align our eyes with the lenses of God and his spirit so we get to see where we're going. In fact, you may have heard the popular, the popular verse in the book of Proverbs that says, without vision, people perish. I love how the Christian Standard Bible says it. It says, without revelation... People run wild. Any of you remember what your life was before Jesus? Oh, I ran wild. But notice the, the proverb continues. It says, but one who follows divine instruction will be happy, will be blessed. Last week we talked about divine appointments. Today we're talking about divine instruction. And what I love about vision on a vision Sunday, a vision for so many of us is essential for survival. We need to be able to see where we're going. We need to be able to sense what God is leading and sense where he is leading us. And what I love about vision is that it's often sparked by faith. Just like Ralph Samuelson, he said, there might be more to this than what we see. But it's also sustained by hope. And how many of us need hope today? You may be looking at your life and you're like, all I see is just the two by fours. All I see is just the material. I don't see what it could be. I see simply what it is. And maybe over your life, you're speaking what we consider a curse word here at Newbreak. It is what it is. This is just it. I have nothing else. And you're saying, Marcus, when it comes to my life, I just don't have the vision that you're talking about. Well, I have such good news for you. 
Because it's not simply about you having vision for your life, it's the truth that Jesus has a vision for your life. Right? This vision is this idea that is beyond prediction, beyond what is safe, beyond what is natural, beyond what is expected. It's the supernatural living today within us and through us. And what's, what scripture told us is that we perish without it. I believe many of us walked in today feeling like we're perishing, feeling like this is it. And I've learned even in my own life, without vision, I've become a slave to the current realities that I'm facing. What if God wants to peel back the layers of our lives to reveal something even greater, to offer us a vision that could transform our lives, our hearts, our neighborhoods, God's church, and everything around us. That's what we get to see in John chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 5? And we're in this beautiful passage where the things that have led up to it, we, we saw Jesus turn the water into wine. Um, we read about Jesus talking to Nicodemus, this religious leader who had questions. We saw Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And then after the woman at the well, this, this person walked up to Jesus and said, my son is sick. And Jesus said, no, he's all right. He's just sleeping. He's going to be fine. He's like, no, my son is sick. You have to do something. And Jesus said, it's already taken care of. Just go back home. Jesus didn't even need to go there to give the miracle to the son. How many of us need a word from God when he says, no, it's, I've already taken care of it? And that's what we get to see today. So maybe you're in a season where you're saying, I don't have the vision, but, but I need a God who can take care of it. That's what I want to pray for us, that we would trust the God who has a vision for our lives, where there's situations that we see, all we see is the material, and God says, no, I've already taken care of it. So let's bring that request before God. God, we come before you. Asking you, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, that you would restore, that you would heal, that you would renew, that you would revive, and you would share and cast vision today from your word. Lord, we want to know what's on your heart, and we want to follow you. For those of us that walked in today lacking vision, in desperation for vision, in desperation for hope, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, guide us. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's start at verse 1. After this, this is after the healing of the official son, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, there's so much in that verse. A festival, it could have been Passover, it, it could have been uh, the festival of booths, it, it could have been uh, about three different festivals that the Jewish men at the time, above 21, had to go to Jerusalem and make this pilgrimage. And then they go up to Jerusalem. Now, if you remember last week, they were in Galilee, which is in the north, and he goes up to Jerusalem, which is in the south. Uh, because as we read in scripture, it's not talking about simple cardinal location. It's talking about elevation. You see, Jerusalem was on a mountain. Jerusalem was a higher elevation. How, how many of us need a higher elevation for what God is going to do in 2024? He's saying, I want you to go up to Jerusalem. I want you to go up in 2024. I want you to see what is, what is next in 2024. Get out of the valley because God has something on the mountaintop. Watch what happens in verse 2. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which had five colonnades. Now, the word Bethesda is a beautiful word. It means uh, the house of mercy. But you're going to see this was, wasn't necessarily a house of mercy. Um, it became a place of misery. Within this place where this pool is, a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed were there. We go to verse 5. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. 38 years. 38 minutes is a long time to wait on God. 38 seconds is a long time. 38 days. 38 months. Maybe you've been wrestling with something for 38 years. Can God come through at year 38? 
You know, what's fascinating is Newbreak was started in 1986, 38 years ago. What if God wants to do something in the year 38? He wants to transform our lives and do something new within us. Look what happens in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had, he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? What do you think the answer is? I've been sitting at this pool, Jesus. I've been trying to get in there. And, and you know what's happening? Um, I just want some healing. And Jesus walks by and he sees the one in the multitude. The word multitude there is speaking of thousands of people that would have been at this pool. Waiting for hopefully getting healed. There was this superstition that we're going to see later on. That when the water got stirred up, anyone that would get in first would be healed. Jesus says, do you want to get well? Look at verse 7. Sir, the disabled man answered. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone else goes down ahead of me. Pause there for a second. He said, before I get there, someone else has gone down ahead of me. Someone else has descended. He's speaking to Jesus, the Son of God, who descended from heaven to walk on earth. And he says, before I get there, someone else descended before me. And Jesus said, you're right. I did. And I'm already there. Verse 8. Get up. Uh, What? Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, verse 9, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now the day was the Sabbath, and now we hit a transition point in the Gospel of John. We've seen a lot of acceptance of Jesus and a lot of desire for Jesus. From here on out, you're going to see the rejection of Jesus in the Gospel. Uh, this moment was, was taking one large step closer and closer to the cross because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. On a day that's supposed to be restful, Jesus gave someone rest. And now the religious people are upset at him because Jesus did a God thing on a God day. It's verse 10. And so the Jews, speaking of the Pharisees, the religious people, said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you picking up your mat. Now, are they talking about the first five books of of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible? No. They're talking about 39 laws that they made all about the Sabbath. And if you read 1 through 38, he would have had no issue. But the last law that man made about the Sabbath, number 39, was that you couldn't transition by moving and picking something up between domains. And he was like, I was almost there. You had to write that one and now I'm messed up. But look at his response, verse 11. He replied, the man who made me well told me pick up your mat and walk. So what do you think I did? I mean, I've been going to this pool for years and years. This house of mercy turned into this place of misery. And then someone walked up to me and told me to walk. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to walk. Verse 12. Who is this man that told you to pick up your mat and walk, they asked. Verse 13. But the man who was healed did not know it was who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Because Jesus, oftentimes, you'll see it later on in the Gospel of John, he just like turns into a ninja and just all of a sudden he's gone. And it's like, how did that happen? Verse 14. After this, Jesus found him. You know, Jesus always finds what he's looking for. And you will always find Jesus when you look for him. Jesus walks and finds this man. We're not sure how much time had lapsed between this moment. But Jesus found him in the temple and said, see you are well. 
Notice, Jesus went to the temple because that's the first place this man went. Because as someone with his sickness, he wasn't able to get into the temple. He said, I have been healed, obviously, by God. I have to go to the place of God and worship him. And Jesus knew where he was going to be. He said, look, you're well. But notice Jesus' direction. He says, do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. He said, I healed you physically. Now I want to heal your soul. And you may be here today and you've experienced a supernatural healing physically, but God is saying, I want to heal your soul today. And he has a vision for your life. Verse 15, the man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. They're mad that Jesus was doing a God thing on a God day. They missed the miracle because they were worried about a man-made law. Right? The, the, the laws and instruction of God are always to bless us. The laws of man, what they do is they stop us and keep us where we're at. And what Jesus is trying to show us is, is this law, this instruction that was beautiful, supposed to be about rest, and how many of us want some rest? He said, but you've made it a place where people can't get healing? This is why Jesus responds to them in verse 17. Jesus responded, my father is still working and I am working also. This would have blown their minds because they're thinking about creation. And on the sixth day, you know, he creates everything. And the seventh day, he rested. God must have rested. And Jesus is saying, it's not that he stopped working. Church, I believe God wants us to realize it. If God were to ever stop working at any moment, we all would cease to exist. Because his hand is over every single life, every single person, always moving, always working. Oh yes, there's a beautiful rest in his presence. But that doesn't mean God is inactive. Verse 18, this is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Isn't this amazing? They rejected God because they were trying to protect God. They said, oh, you're God in the flesh? No, you can't be. We're waiting for a Messiah. And Jesus was like, yeah, that's me. He said, well, you're acting like you're God. And Jesus said, you're acting like I'm not. <laughs> and that's all ultimately what leads Jesus to the cross. Verse 19, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. That's my prayer for our church. What if that's how we lived? God, we will only do whatever we see you doing. God, if you're not in it, we don't want anything with it. God, we're about, we're about bringing the kingdom to the earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. God, that's all we want to do. So you show us your will, you show us the way, and we say yes to you. Verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. He says, you haven't seen anything yet. He said, oh, water into wine. Yeah, Nicodemus being born again. I know that confused you guys. The woman at the well, I'm sure you heard about that by now. Then I healed the official son. I know that was wild. And now this guy, he's been lame for 38 years and I healed him. That's nothing. That's a Tuesday for me. You haven't seen nothing yet. Then he goes on, verse 21. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to whom he wants. The beauty is God wants to give life to you. Like more life than you could ever experience, more life than you could ever imagine. That's what he wants to offer you. 
Verse 22, the father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, so that all people may honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. You know, what's fascinating is that these religious people are are so focused on ensuring that the laws that we read in Scripture and the laws that they wrote that God did not inspire them to write were held true and held to every standard of everyone that walked the earth. And then Jesus stands in front of them fulfilling the most beautiful need that we all have, the Savior standing in front of them. And they said, yeah, but it's on the wrong day. Think about the other people that are there at that moment. As I said, this, this pool is a large pool. Um, what's really fascinating is for many years, um, early theologians and scholars, as they would study the scripture, um, they'd say, well, we can't find this pool in Jerusalem. And so people were saying, well, maybe John just made it up. Well, in the late 1800s, it was uncovered. Same with the five colonnades and same with this huge pool. Maybe John didn't make it up. Maybe John included it because he wanted us to see what God does for people that are surrounding this pool, this multitude, thousands of people. Don't think of a small uh, community pool. I want you to think of a large pool, maybe even the size of a football field, with thousands around it that are lame, that cannot move, that are hoping to get healing, that all feel stuck. And Jesus walks in and offers hope for those who feel stuck. Now think about... Think about our life. And if you're like me, you've ever felt stuck before, you say things like, if I can just get through this week, then I'll be good. But you say it every Monday, (laughs) right? If I can just make it to the weekend, then I'll be able to relax. But you say it every week? Just this month, just through this day, just through this meeting, maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel like there's just no vision. And what I've, what I've learned is life is much about seeing. We look for opportunities. We look for doors that God is opening, doors that God is closing. We look for an opportunity for us to connect with other people, to connect with God. And we say, God, we need the vision. We need to be able to see. God, I just want to see through this hardship. God, I, I, I look at the wood. I look at the material. But I want to see the potential, what's on the other side. We think about vision when it comes to a blank page that can turn into a beautiful novel. We think about vision when it comes to the ingredients that could make a beautiful dinner. But Lord, I just, I need vision in my life. Lord, there there may be a future challenge that I'm missing if I don't have vision. And for the multitude that was around that pool, they were stuck. And Jesus says, I have hope for you. And as he walks up to this man who'd been there a long time, We're not sure how long he had been there. And scripture says that he had been ill for 38 years. Um, Scripture reveals it in such a way that it wasn't that he was born this way. But that something tragically happened to him. And maybe that's that tragic thing. Maybe something happened to you. And it's caused you to stop having the vision that God has for you. Maybe something happened that you're saying, well, I am just like that two by four. And people just see me just as someone who's wounded and broken. There's no vision for people like me. And God asked the most important question that I believe Jesus ever asked, do you want to get well? And you think it'd be an easy response, of course I do. But what if we got real with ourselves? Some of us don't want to get well. I remember in, uh, in my life, 
before Jesus. One of the reasons I wanted to resist him was because I enjoyed the person that I was, that I thought I was, because I wanted to stay angry. I didn't want to get well. When the addiction had me at my lowest point, I, I didn't want to get well because I wasn't sure the person on the other side of healing was the person I wanted to be. And I'm so glad that when Jesus asked me if I want to be well, I said yes and gave my life to him. And then I realized I finally met myself for the first time. But do you want to get well? Where have we simply stayed in this place of rebellion, or maybe hatred, or unforgiveness, or shame for so long that it's become comfortable? Like, have you gotten to the point to where you've suffered enough, and I've suffered enough? I think about the 30,000 people right here in Tierra Santa that call Tierra Santa their home. I wonder if we were to ask, do you want to get well? Have you suffered enough? I wonder what they would say. I think many of them would say yes. And we have eight churches right here in Tierra Santa. And I wish I could tell you that all 30,000 people know Jesus, but they don't. But do they want to get well? Think about the 1.4 million people in the city of San Diego. Have you suffered enough? And then we see the different statistics that come on the rise and the pains that they're walking through. Do you want to get well? The 3.4 million people in the county of San Diego, do you want to get well? And what if God is saying, yes, they want to get well, but, but he's asking us to be a part of it. He's asking us to be the people that bring the healing, that, that show them that there is hope in Jesus Christ, but, but we have to be people that want to be well and also want to go and help people be well. So many of us pause because we have not only excuses and exemptions for us wanting to get well, we have excuses and exemptions for us being part of someone else's healing. Well, it's just going to take too much effort. You know, because then I've got to talk to someone. Then I might have to invite someone to church and do that whole thing. And they're going to say no. They might. But I bet you if you ask them if they want to be well, all of us could use some healing and some hope. There might be effort, you know, if, if I get well, thinking of the man that was laying there for 38 years, if I get well, Jesus, I'm going to have to leave this place because this is a house of misery and misery loves company. And I've known these friends. They've been here with me. I can't really tell you they've been there for me, but they've been here with me. And, and if I get well and start walking, I'm going to have to leave this place. Because anytime there is healing, there's often a transition. There's often a move that God wants us to make. And you're saying, it's 2024. God, I'm just going to do the same thing I've always been doing. He says, do you want to get well, though? But God, my friends, and it's just, I have a bad friend group, and my relationships, and things are tough, and I'm complaining about this, this, and that. And he says, do you want a move in your life? Well, God, I don't know if I want to get well yet, because I might have to sacrifice some things. And if we're honest, sometimes we're in our when we're in the midst of our deepest sufferings, there's a lot of attention that people can give us. And Lord, I walk with this sickness and many people say, hey, are you okay? And Lord, people aren't gonna notice me if I'm like everyone else. And I just walk, no longer have that sickness anymore. He says, do you wanna get well? And Jesus is telling this man, I'm not about your comfortability. I want to show you your value. And that's what he says to us. When he asks that question, he says, do you want to get well because there's something more valuable than the current reality that you're seeing? 
And no matter what, where you find yourselves in that response to Jesus and where I find myself in that response to Jesus, the best part is Jesus listens to the reasons we feel hopeless. Like when your vocabulary can't even express the pain that you're feeling and all you can is weep in the presence of God, he listens. He simply listens and waits and he comforts and he consoles. One of my favorite passages found in Psalm 40. Psalm 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently upon the Lord and he turned his ear to me and turned his face towards me and he heard my cry. God hears your cry for help. He experiences the pain that you're feeling. He says, I know what that feels like because I've been there and now I am here with you to bring you out of the pit that you're walking in. There's vision in what God is speaking in this moment. He says, do you want to get well? Then I'll listen to your response because I want to care for you. And I'm learning in my own life that hopelessness is, is so much more powerful than the pain that I'm currently feeling because hopelessness crushes me. Hopelessness crushes my soul. Think about that man who had been there for 38 years. Just, do I want to get well? You're probably like one of those people that walk through here and just want something from me. You're going to tell me if I make five easy payments of $17.95, I might get some cool oil. He said, no, no. Jesus says, do you really want to get well? Because I know the healer. And this is why he looks at him and he says, sir, <laughs> and it's a little polite, but it's also, sir, you don't know what you're talking about. And then he screams, I have no one to put me in the water. This is the cry of our city. I have no one. Loneliness is on the rise in our city. In fact, according to the San Diego Behavioral Health. This is the cry of our city. I have no one. I have no future. No one can help me. I feel like giving up. It's too late and I'll never be happy. Sir, I just have no one. And I grew up my whole life hearing people say this verse from the Bible that I found out is not even in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. And I read the Bible and I was like, I can't find it. I don't think I have the same version as you. Then I tried a different version. It's still not in there. Well, God helps those who help themselves. You know that. No, God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. This man is lame by the pool and saying, I have no one. And Jesus says, I know. If you would have gotten to this place sooner, Marcus. Like this man is declaring that his, his individual determination is gone. He said, I just need one person. And Jesus says to all of us, I am that one person to be there for you. And he's living in this mindset of religion, which stops many people from entering the church because they think of religion like this man thought about getting in the pool. I have to try harder. I have to be first. Got to be the first one in. And then once I'm healed, I can figure out what to do after that. That's religion. But relationship with Jesus Christ says, your sickness, bring it unto him, Matthew 11. He says, bring it unto me. I'm going to heal you and I'm going to give you rest. But as our city our neighbors, our families, our friends are crying out, I have no one. What is our response? Here at Newbreak, we have an uh, amazing team of pastors. But we have an amazing team that I want to share about called the care team. And this year, you're going to hear more and more about the care team. And um, we have people in this room that are on the care team. If you're on the care team, would you just stand up? We just want to honor you um, right now. And we have like, one in the back. We've got Lisa here, um, over here, Lorraine. Yes. Um, thank you, care team. You may be seated. 
We have a phenomenal care team um, that is willing to walk with people through some of their deepest needs, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual. They want to meet one-on-one with you, and they want to be at the bedside as, as you're there um, watching your mother, uh, possibly going through some of the most dangerous and, and painful moments of their life. The care team wants to be there. As I said, we have a phenomenal pastoral team, but we can't do it all because there's 30,000 people in Tierra Santa, and we don't have a team that big. But you're here. Our care team's here. If 3.4 million people in the county of San Diego, we can't do it all ourselves, but we need you. Our care team is hearing the cries of people saying, I have no one. Is there just one person? This care team has been trained to be truly a pastoral support in times of need to families. And maybe you're in here and you're saying, man, that's the team I want to be on. Well, we want to help you. We want to encourage you. We want to have you join the care team because the needs are coming in. And care team, we're making a commitment to you this year to utilize the giftings that God has placed in every single one of you at a level that we can't even dream of because the need is so great. So care team, I want to thank you again. Thank them for as they pray, as I meet with people. Thank you, care team. Vision for our community that is crying out, I have no one. That is in pain. I love how Mother Teresa shared it. She was talking about the pain people were feeling. Um, she would write this uh, later in the, uh, in the 1900s, and she would say this, that the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather feeling of being unwanted, uncared for, and deserted by everybody. You ever felt that? Where you have no one? Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. You can be without a lot of things, but when you're without people that love you, you feel like there's no way out of that pit. She goes on, Mother Teresa says, charity begins today. Today somebody is suffering. Today somebody is in the street. Today somebody is hungry. Our work is for today, church. Today. Vision Sunday, 2024, February 4th, 2024. Everything changes today. Because yesterday has gone, tomorrow has not yet come. We only have today. And you're saying, well, charity. And you might be thinking, oh, like finances? No, charity is a, is a divine disposition to show kindness, compassion, and mercy no matter the cost. Amen. What if we were the church that said, no matter what it takes, today, from here on out, we're going to meet needs? Because it can be tough. But if you've ever felt like you find yourself, as Mother Teresa's talked about, being separated, isolated, unwanted, unloved, and lonely, maybe you're that one person when they say, I have no one. And you say, I'll be someone. I don't know you too well, but I know a God who loves you tremendously. This is why the author of Proverbs would say, when it's in your power, don't withhold good from someone that it belongs to. And I love this. Don't say to your neighbor, go away and come back later. How many of us do that? Someone knocks on the door. No, thanks. The Lord convicted me. Um, there was someone that was um, soliciting in our neighborhood, which has signs, don't solicit. And I got on the little ring camera. I said, no, thank you. They said, I just have a question. The Lord said, you're talking about a question this week, aren't you? I said, I have one for you too. <laughs> so like, oh, do you want to get solar? And I was like, no, no, no. I said, do you want to get well? I literally said, do you want to get well? They said, what do you mean? And I said, I'm not going to do the solar thing because we rent. Um, but I have something I can offer you. And I told him about Jesus. He said, I'll have to think about it. I said, and I'll think about solar. And then he left. <laughs> But the Lord said, 
don't tell him to go away because you have something that he needs. What if that was the posture that we took as a church? When there are people who are saying, is there anyone that could show up for me? And I think about our amazing team that serves right here. We have amazing team members that serve in all of our ministries. And this is not the Marcus show. This is not, if, if Marcus weren't here, nothing would happen. I'll tell you, if this team weren't here, we'd be missing so much. This is one of the most amazing teams that we can serve with. This is our pastoral staff, and they do such a phenomenal job. Um, starting on your left, uh, that's, that's me with the microphone. I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, but then you see right next to me is Pastor Brooks. Pastor Brooks, uh, is, give him a hand. Yes. He's over our life groups, and he does a phenomenal job. He cares about the discipleship and the spiritual formation of you, and you know that he's there with you. And um, just recently, we actually promoted him to associate pastor. And so, associate pastor Brooks. Um, What does an associate pastor do? An associate pastor is someone who assists in the pastoring of God's church and pastoring of his people. And so as as people come in and are in desperate need and they need help um, going through scripture or going through a painful situation in their lives or or recently just doing a memorial for a family that had lost their son, it's things like that because we can't do it all ourselves. We need team. And all throughout scripture, if you ever find someone doing it just by themselves, they failed. Show me one person that did it by themselves. I'll wait. Oh, Jesus. No, he had 12. And then 72, then 120, and then thousands. So, yeah, no. Solomon? (laughs) Yeah, he failed. So, yeah. We do it to everything in team. So, thank you, Pastor Brooks, for all that you do. Now, follow after him is Pastor Nate, who does a phenomenal job with our worship ministry. Give him a hand. Him and his wife, Marin, are such a gift to God's church, and we are so thankful for you that um, they would leave the warm weather of Minnesota to get here to San Diego, uh, um, uh, but they have, co- they have come here, and what I love about them is they're so um, candid about what God is doing in them and what God is speaking in them, and through um, some difficult moments and great moments, they lead us in worship every single week, and they do a phenomenal job at it, so give them a hand. We thank you, Carpenter family. Uh, followed by that is Bob, who is my stepdad. Um, yeah, yeah, come on, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, uh, when, I was, when I was sharing this message earlier, someone said, well, that's nepotism. I said, no, I actually hired him before he was dating my mom, and I hooked them up. So, yeah, it's not that at all. Um, but he does a phenomenal job. All the tech, uh, whether it's internet, whether it's lighting, um, helping with the videos, and everything that you see at all of our campuses. Bob, we thank you so much. You are a phenomenal member of our team, and we thank you. Give him another hand. Thank you, Bob. Um, then we have Pastor Karen in the middle who stepped into our student ministry and is doing such a phenomenal job with um, her and the team. Um, in a time of transition, she walks in, steps in, and says, okay, Lord, I guess I'll say yes. And along the way, we've seen our student ministry grow. We've seen our team um, of the leaders that are there serving our student ministry growing. She's on the school campuses. Um, we have schools that are reaching out to us. Um, Andrea, I want to highlight to you, thank you so much for all that you do and, and reaching out, helping us help the community. Um, it's been so cool to see what God is doing um, in our student ministry. And don't sleep on our students. God is stirring something up in them. I believe we have a revival coming through our next generation. Um, followed by that, we have Bev um, next to next to Karen. And Bev is such a great, such a great person on our team. Give Bev a hand. 
Now, what Bev does is she ensures that you feel welcome. When you walk onto the campus and you see people greeting you in the parking lot, you see coffee that is there for you, that's not just Folgers. Uh, you see people that are greeting you, you see smells and fragrances and things that look good and feel good and all of a sudden it's a holiday and I didn't know anything's happening but stuff is beautiful around. I'm like, wow, this is cool. That's Bev. And she wants you to be on her team. She meets with all of our first time guests and prays with them and cries with them and celebrates what God is doing in their lives. And she does a phenomenal job as she leads, li she leads a life group as well. Bev, we're so thankful for you and the heart that you have. Uh, followed by her is uh, Pastor Sammy and Pastor Brian, and they are over our kids' ministry. They do such a phenomenal job. We launched Superbook with them, and we are seeing uh, child after child giving their lives to Jesus. If you don't know what Superbook is, it's the Bible on a giant screen, and they're able to see the Bible in action, in cartoon form, with some of like the animators that have um, left like Disney and Pixar and all those people. It's fascinating what they get to see. They've already gone once through the Bible over the past two years, and they're doing it again, and kids are saying, yes to Jesus. Just last week we had 78 kids in that room saying yes to the Lord and what he is doing. It's powerful. Powerful. Um, and lastly, we have Pastor Kamar on the far, your far right side. Pastor Kamar has done a phenomenal job. Um, she's been at New Break since 2015 and has been in multiple roles, uh, helping life groups, helping with admin, over outreach. And now we recently have just invited her as our campus director at the Tierra Santa campus. So thank you so much, Pastor Kamar. Um, if you're wondering what a campus director is, a campus director helps direct the campus, so it's really confusing. Uh, yeah, that's what they do. Help direct the campus, help lead our team in our team meetings, um, encourage our relationships that are happening outside of just these four walls within our community. She does a phenomenal job. So, Pastor Kamar, thank you so much for sharing your giftings with us. Um, now, these are the faces, but you are the people. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, these people equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. So maybe you're saying, man, I want to be on a team like that. That's us. Come and join us. Not one of us is perfect. But man, we love God and we love people. We want to see you on one of our teams. So if you want to serve on one of our teams, come and talk to us. That's, that's what I believe God's vision is for 2024, that we would be a church that goes all in like never before. You ever been part of a church plant? I believe that's how every church should begin to function, that we're all in this no matter what. Where are we going? What is God doing? We're all in. You need people to show up? I'm going to be there. What if that's what God wants to speak into us this year? Because there's a city crying out, I have no one. And we say, well, you got a church who loves you. And in the midst of the cry of, I have no one, Jesus speaks a better word in the pattern of our brokenness. He speaks something better. This is why Jesus does this. Where does he get the authority? When he was a little bit before this, Jesus walks into the temple. He opens up the scroll to Isaiah, and he starts speaking this. The spirit of the Lord is on me. They're saying, you don't have the authority to heal the sick. He said, the spirit of the Lord told me so. And so I'm going to do it because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set, the free, set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what we do as a church because it's what Jesus did. We're going to preach the good news, we're going to proclaim release and recovery, and we're going to set people free in 2024. Well, what are we going to do this year? Right there. All day, every day. Well, how do we do it? Well, we're going to preach the good news. If we get up here and we're not preaching the Bible, we're not living like Jesus. 
We're going to preach the good news. We're going to proclaim release to captives and recovery. I'm sick and I'm in this situation. I'm in this relationship and I just need help. Like I said, we have an amazing care team. We have a pastoral team. We want to walk with you. We want to proclaim release and recovery to you. Because there will be a day when you're set free. And we want to celebrate with you. And this is why Jesus, he had the authority to look at the man who'd been there for 38 years. And no one probably told him these two words, get up. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, I don't know if you see. You probably would know I've been here for a little while. He says, get up. No, no, Jesus. I don't have the muscles on my legs because they've atrophied. The excuses maybe came over. He says, no, no, no. Get up. He tells him three things. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and walked. And you're thinking, well, 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 God, how did he, and why would he pick up the mat? That mat, he's probably been on it for 38 years. Not very easy to walk to the restroom. So it's probably covered in different fragrances, different smells, different sweat, different dirt. Jesus says, pick it up. Maybe Jesus is telling you, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Well, Jesus, you know, people, people don't understand what it's like to be someone who's a recovering addict. He says, no, get up. Pick up that God story and walk. Yeah. Well, well, no, Jesus, you don't understand. I, I've been through divorce and people don't want to hear that. Get up, pick up your God story and walk. Well, God, you know, the, the bottle was something that I was always going to. It's the place that I turned to find for hope. And once I got to the end of the bottle, I realized I was at the end of my rope and I needed something. And God, you showed up. So Jesus says, Marcus, get up, pick up your God story and walk. Well, you don't know all that I've been through. I have scars from the pain that I experienced. And, and Jesus is saying, for 2024, church, get up, pick up your God story and walk. Because there is a community who is crying out, I have no one. I have no one. And then you come in and you say, hey, you know, there was a man named Jesus who told me one day to get up. And I didn't think I had the energy. I didn't think I had the strength. But just like this man, you can imagine the muscles beginning to form on his bones. And he stands up. He doesn't need to go to PT or OT. He just starts walking. Maybe he walked a little bit of a limp at first. And maybe he just kept it. He's like, yeah, I'm Jesus. Well, I know what he did. But he was healed. And he had to tell his God story. And I believe as Jesus spoke a better word to this man, I believe we're in a season where we need to speak better words over our communities, better words over our schools that we declare this year because we declare and we release what God speaks, that we declare that this, this year, the schools in our community that rely on New Break to care for them, to pray for them, they're not going to experience the same tragedies they've been experiencing these past few years. We have two options when we see what's happening with the next generation. We can complain or we can be part of the change. I'm done complaining. We need to be part of bringing them hope. I think about what's happening in our marriages. Marriages that are suffering. The better word we proclaim is we want to walk with you. So this this year what we want to do is we want to have spaces where you can come as a couple and as a family. We want to give you great resources. We want to walk with you. And we're still working on some of the details of this. But for our men, our women, and our families, we want something for you. And so we're going to start this year and we'll continue to do it throughout every year. But we want to give you great resources and we want to walk with you. Help you get into therapy and counseling. We want to help you be able to meet with someone on our care team. We want to give you the resources you need. What are we speaking over our next generation, over our kids? We're going to speak that they would be some leaders that would rise up out of God's church so they would walk onto the school campuses and they're knocking on doors even right now at Far Middle School. Far Middle School, I hope you're watching. We want a campus club because our kids want a campus club there. And they're knocking on the door. We want a campus club. And we have a church that will sponsor it. 
And their schools are saying, well, you need to have a teacher representative. We got it. Well, you got to have this. We'll do that too. I speak over this next year that we see our kids stand up and start leading like never before. But it's going to take all of us. Our teachers that they feel cared for like never before. The schools that reach out to us that we provide all of their, all of their different uh, supplies that they need as we have these school supply drives. That they would one day call out to us and say, hey, could you stop helping us? We have too much stuff. There is not a kid on this campus who doesn't have a backpack, who doesn't have a computer. All of our teachers, they no longer have to put anything out of their pocket because you bought them all smart boards. You're helping these teachers have a safe place that they can call a teacher's lounge. And also you're inviting them to join you in prayer. Like you're doing too much and we can't, we can't do it anymore. And then we say, now you start helping other schools. That's my prayer for 2024. But it's going to take all of us. My prayer for the businesses that have struggled over this past few years is that we pray and walk with them and pray for the CEOs and the CFOs and the boards of the businesses that they would begin to flourish. As scripture would say, when you pray for your community that you're in, because when it flourishes, you are blessed. Let's begin to pray for our communities. And let's pray for God's church that he would do something miraculous in 2024 because we have vision, because we don't just see the materials, we see the Messiah and what he can do with it. So I want to leave you with three words a vision for your 2024. And our pastoral team prayed over these words. And you're going to notice that they all start with the same letter because that's what pastors do. <laughs> we love powerful, passionate words of transformation and pursuit of the purpose of God. We love it. So it starts with consecration. Consecration is a beautiful word that simply is declaring something as sacred. What if we were a church that simply consecrated itself to the Lord? Whatever you are doing, we are going to go your direction and your way. You'll notice this year we started having communion available every single week in the alcoves. Maybe every Sunday is a time for you to walk in and say, Lord, this week is for you. As I take the bread and the cup, I'm reminded of what your sacrifice for me. So I want to sacrifice for you wherever I need to go. Consecration. Next is courage. What, what courage is, it's, it's bravery in the face of difficulty. It's not the absence of fear. It's the divine assessment that there's something greater on the other side of it. What if that's how we lived? We're going to be consecrated and we're going to walk in courage. And lastly, commitment. We're going to be dedicated to the vision that God has for his church. Because I know that motivation can get us started and get us feeling good and get uh, goosebumps, goose pimples. I call them chicken skin. Motivation feels good. Oh, but man, it's consecration, commitment, and courage that's going to keep us going. We will be a church that is consecrated that is walking courageously and is committed to what God is doing. This is why Jesus would share later on in the same chapter we just read, he would declare an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. We're living in a city and communities where people are perishing and they're waiting for us to speak the word of God. Those who hear will live. Let us be people consecrated, courageous, and committed because I want to see people live and it's going to take all of us. So do we say yes together for 2024? All right, let me pray for you. God, I'm so thankful that we get to walk with you. Lord, that you have a vision for every single one of our lives, that you can guide us, you can walk with us. And Lord, we say yes to you, to be a consecrated church, to be a courageous church, and a committed church. Because your word says, those who are perishing, when they hear the voice of God, they will live. So we speak life over San Diego. 
Could we all repeat that? Just on the count of three, say life. One, two, three. Life over San Diego. And we say yes to you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Give God a hand.